before I begin, two things. One, as you can see from the title, I'll Be There For You, this sermon series is inspired by the iconic sitcom uh, from the 1990s titled Friends. And this, this, their theme song, of course, well, I won't sing it for you. No, I won't, I won't do that. I'll, I'll be there, there for you. Secondly, I want you to know uh, that you won't see me at the door at the end of the service. I have an Uber ride picking uh, Julie and me up at 1230 to go to the airport. We're catching a flight down to Florida for a, a four-day pastor's conference. So uh, you'll miss me. I'll miss seeing you uh, at, at the door, but I will be back at the end of the week and, and preaching again on, on Sunday. And by the way, one of the speakers at this conference is Karen Georgia Thompson, who is the brand new uh, general minister and president of the United Church of Christ. She will be here in our poll pulpit three weeks from today. So I'll look forward to meeting her for the first time and getting to hear her speak, speak as well. Would you pause with me for just a moment of prayer, please? Gracious God, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for indeed you are our rock, our strength, our redeemer. Amen. The last words of a friend, oftentimes, if not most times, stay with us throughout our lives. In the summer of 2018, my wife Julie and I were in our car heading toward Easton for a late afternoon of shopping and then a dinner out together. It was my day off, it was our date night. When the phone rang in my car, I took the call it was a family member of my friend Bill. Bill had been very ill for about three weeks and had taken a sudden drastic turn. The family member said, Glenn, we don't think he has much time. The doctor says he'll probably be gone before midnight. Can you come by, please? I said, of course. We took the next exit, drove over the freeway, headed back the other direction towards OSU Medical Center. When I walked into his room in the ICU, I burst into tears, and, and so did he. I need to tell you, I, I, I've been doing pastoral care for a long time. It's my, it's my job to, to keep my emotions in check, to keep myself in check, to provide the care that's needed in the room, to be available for the ones. But I just, my heart broke. I sat down, I found a chair, pulled it over, and sat down next to him. And his, his voice and his body were weak, but his spirit was strong. He stuck out his hand and he took a hold of mine and he said, I need to tell you something before you say anything else now. You need to tell that church of yours, if anybody there gives you a problem, I'm coming back to haunt them. <laughs> Luckily so far, I haven't had to use that, but I got it in my back pocket, so just be warned. Just, just be warned. His, his ashes are right outside here in the columbarium. My, my office is over there on the other side of the columbarium. Occasionally, I'll go out and talk to Bill and just tell him, I don't think this is a haunting that's necessary, but I just want to touch base with you. Well, during that call, I, I offered a prayer. It was brief. He was declining quickly. And then he said, before you go, before you go come back here. He took a hold of my hand again pulled me in close. His exact words were, Glenn Miles, I love you. This rough, tough, gruff guy who had an opinion about everything at the end of his life wanted nothing more than to tell his friends and his family that he loved them. In many ways, the book Friends 
lovers and the big terrible thing, Matthew Perry's memoir, Matthew Perry, one of the stars from the TV show Friends. In many ways, those are his last words. Now, it was published a year before his untimely and unexpected death, but really they are his last words to the world. It's a powerfully poignant tale of of addiction and loss and fear and insecurity and, and more. One of his friends wrote a review of his book and she said, it's unflinchingly honest, painful to read at times, but filled with hope. I would agree completely, but filled with hope. There's hope there because he names that big terrible thing. It's his addiction issues. He's had a hole in, in his soul th- since he was a little boy and he's tried to fill that, that for all of his years with, with, with booze and drugs and, and all kinds of unimaginable things. The big terrible thing, maybe you don't have a big terrible thing, but the hope that's there is that any of us, whether it's a big terrible thing or a little terrible one or something else, the hope that is there is that we can find a way if we have friends, if we have relationships, if we have courage to make our way through whatever that big terrible thing might be for you or... Or, or for me. You know, his, his character on the show, Chandler Bing, I think, was really the heart and soul of it. Now, the, the other five actors might argue with me, and I'm not a TV critic, so I, I don't know anything about that sort of thing, but I do look at the world through theological lenses, and when I see him in the show, you know, he's this very sarcastic, smart-mouthed, hilarious, funny guy. He really serves as the court jester. You know, the court jester's role, the court jester's role was to speak the truth but to do so in a way that he won't lose his head when he, when he speaks the truth to the king. To do it in a funny way, to make everybody laugh, and then basically say, do you see here, this is the truth of what's happening. I think that's part of why the show is still so popular even today. Here are these folks. Now, they're beautiful by Hollywood standards, by any world standards. They're unbelievably beautiful, but at, at heart, they're messy, complicated, complex human beings who promise to be there for each other. And we come back to the show over and, and over again. I want to give you one little clip that shows you where the sermon title came for today and and kind of highlights what I'm trying to say here. Let's put the clip up. I'm not great at the advice. Can I interest you in a sarcastic comment? (laughs) Some cheese. And some cheese. I I don't know why, but that just cracks me up every every time I see it. Did you hear what he said? Can I interest you in a sarcastic comment? Even that comment itself, not only of his character, but I think of who he is as a person, reveals there's some insecurity. I'm not so good at the, at the advice. Can I offer you something funny? Can I say something funny? Can I give you some cheese that demonstrates the insecurity that was at his, the center of his soul, who he was? Maybe, maybe in some ways, that television show gave him a glimpse of, of the life he was longing, gave him a glimpse of what it means to be a friend of what it means to be courageous enough to acknowledge an issue or a problem in your life, hoping and believing and trusting that that friend will be with you. The scripture reading we just heard a moment ago from the Gospel of John are the last words of Jesus. They come just a few days before his death. Now, if you read some scholarly uh, commentaries, and I have stacks of them in, in both of my offices, the, the commenters on this, on this section will call this the, and you have to say it in this kind of a voice, uh, this is Jesus' a final discourse. No, it is not. 
It is not his final discourse. It is not a lecture. He didn't sit down and write up a bunch of teaching notes. This is Jesus knowing he's about to die, opening his heart, pouring himself out to his friends, to his closest friends in the world, saying to them, love one another as I have loved you. There's nothing more important than, than loving one another. And I used to call you servants, but now I call you friends. It's a beautiful, powerful invitation to love each other and to be friends, to be there for one another, to give yourself away in friendship. Now, yes, there are multiple layers of meanings in these several chapters here, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, unbelievably rich theological sayings and ideas. But at the bottom line, it's Jesus with his friends saying to them, I'm desperate for your friendship and your love. Friendships start in interesting ways, don't they? Sometimes the friendships that we never see coming just come out, out of the blue. I'll never forget my first week in my first job after I graduated from college. I was 22 years old. I was hired to be the youth director at the First Christian Church of Hanford, California, just a couple of hours from San Francisco out in the Big Valley. It was a farming community. I sat down on that Monday, my first day in the office, 9 a.m. I had a beautiful office there. It was a sweet little church, but they gave the pastors very nice offices. I, of course, had nothing to put on the walls because I was 22 years old. And I had that beautiful set of bookcases behind my, my uh, desk chair that were just gorgeous. I had exactly four books, one, two, three, four total books. And then I also had a day timer. Do you remember day timers? where you would write down your schedule and keep track of it that way. I had a day timer and a pen. This was all of my professional materials gathered in one space right there. Well, uh, around about oh, five minutes after that, there was a knock on my door, and that was my boss, Doug Dornhecker, the senior pastor of the church. Doug came in and he said, oh, Glenn, so glad you're here. Saw your car in the parking lot. We're excited that you're here. Do you have time today? to uh, meet me for a cup of coffee and a donut, I want to take you to Macano's Bakery, best bakery in town. I said, just a minute, let me check. <laughs> I believe I can work you in. Is 10 o'clock good? He said, 10 o'clock is perfect. And I literally wrote in my day timer, donut with Doug. A few days later, Doug came into my office and said, hey, I'm putting together the, the final version of the newsletter. I know you've got a youth event this Sunday night, uh, do, do you not? A volleyball game or something? Yeah, great. Would you write me a, an article about that, please? Sure. So I went to the secretary's office and I type, used her typewriter and wrote this little 200-word article and then walked into his office and gave it to him. Ten minutes later, he was back in my office with that same article, only now it had red markings all, all over it. He set it, on my, he set it down on my desk and I said, um, obviously I need to do some reworking. He said, yes, you do. Did you take creative writing in college? It was a rhetorical question. And then he turned and walked out, but immediately stopped and came back in. He said, look, we hired you because you have talent. We believe in you. I don't expect perfection. I don't expect perfection from you. I don't expect perfection from me. But what I do expect from you and from myself is that we will care about this church, that we will care about these people. 
I know it's just a volleyball game. I know you're just having hamburgers and hot dogs afterwards and it's a get to know you and get to have some fun, but it matters. You know what happens at those kinds of events. Relationships are formed, friendships begin, connections are made. Who knows, maybe even the Spirit of God will be there in the midst of the laughter and the playing and the fun you're having. The only thing I ask for you in this job is that you care about this church and you care about these people. 40 years later, he's one of my best friends. I could walk out those double doors on my way to the airport and call him if I had a problem. And if he wasn't there at that moment, he would make sure. He would make sure to get back to me as soon as possible. Friendships matter. Friendships matter. Giving your heart to someone else in friendship and love is one of the greatest gifts you can ever give. There is no price tag on it. Except the risk of a broken heart. But think about this. Is there anything you want more in this life than a friend? Last month, I think it was the second Sunday in Advent. The service was over here. I'd gone back to my office, taken off my robe and stole, put on my suit coat, grabbed my backpack, was heading out. Almost everybody was gone. But as I got through those double doors out towards the parking lot, there was a couple about, oh, maybe 10 steps before me. An older couple. I know them well. They've been married for at least six decades. Their steps were slow. I stopped and just watched them. As they moved out toward the parking lot, he extended his hand and she took his. Their car was parked all the way on the other side. Slowly, carefully, hand in hand, they made their way. Is there anything more important in this life than a hand to hold? A shoulder to cry upon, an ear to listen. You know, Jesus is our friend unconditionally. There are no conditions there. That means everyone is a friend of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, now, if you've done something wrong, oh, oh excuse me, oh, Sarah, yes, oh, remember that stumble last week? Yes, you're going to need to fix that or I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Jesus doesn't do that. Stumble, fall, make the same mistake over and over, Jesus continues to be our friend. Oh, there might be a lecture or or a teaching or a lesson or a parable or something, but he's still our friend. And therefore, we're invited to be the friends of Jesus as well. John, John Story is the one who introduced that idea to me. He was a theologian and a spiritual leader in South Africa during the fight against apartheid. He was a friend of Mandela's, a friend of Bishop Tutu's. He said, as the fight was ending, as apartheid was going away, he said to all those in, in, his, in his care as a leader, as a spiritual leader, we must be the friends of Jesus, and we must be the friends of Jesus' friends. And there is no one who is not a friend of Jesus. It was a powerful and important moment in the history of that country. It, it, many scholars think that idea helped keep them from civil war. Anyone who is a friend of Jesus must be a friend of ours, and everyone is a friend of Jesus. Let's be clear about what that means. Jesus' friends are gay. Are we friends of, of, do we have gay friends? Do we have queer friends? Do we have trans friends? Because they're friends of Jesus, therefore we're called to be their friends as well. Black and brown friends, yes. Old friends, young friends. Who is a friend of Jesus that is not a friend of ours? In many ways, that is our mission statement as a church. We are called to be friends of the friends of Jesus, and there's no one who's outside that circle. There's no greater gift than the gift of friendship and loving heart. But like I said earlier, 
Friendship can be messy. It can be complicated. It can be difficult. Is there anyone here who does not, who is not a complicated or a messy person? Is anybody here? No, I don't see any hands. You know, Sarah, do you remember at the nine o'clock service, Sarah and Jennifer, there were two people who raised their hands. We have two perfect people in our church. We just dismissed them. We just sent sent them on out, out, out the door. It's messy and hard. It's difficult. It's not easy because so many of us find that when we give our hearts away, they often are broken. Matthew Perry, in his memoir, talks about what it was like when his parents divorced. He was only three, had a very vague memory of that. But a few years later, his mother got remarried to a wonderful man who who he loved and adored, brought in two stepsisters that he also loved and, and cared deeply for. But his mother was a special assistant to Pierre Trudeau. Do you remember Pierre Trudeau was the prime minister of Canada? She had a very important position with him. He would call her all the time. She'd leave in the middle of the night or early in the morning or be gone all day or gone for extended periods of time because she was a special assistant to the prime minister of of Canada. In fact, Matthew says in his book, he got so upset that his mom was gone so much that he beat up Justin Trudeau at school. Justin, the future prime minister of Canada. He did say also in his book that once Justin became the prime minister himself, he decided that he should be friend of somebody who has their actual own army. So he got that clarified. There was one day, though, that he tells his story. He was 10 years old. It was a beautiful day. It was just him and his mom. His dad was gone. His stepsisters were with some, some friends. It was just him and his mom. They watched a movie for two hours, laughed their heads off. It was a comedy that just made them laugh. Then they played Monopoly. And they played Monopoly for hours and hours. Have you ever played Monopoly one-on-one? It never ends. You can't win. You buy and you sell and you buy and you sell and you rent and you just, just keep going up. But he didn't care. They didn't care. It was a marvelous day. It was just him and his mom. It was beautiful. And then the phone rang. Hello? Hi, this is Pierre. Is your mom there? He gave her the phone. In that moment, he made a decision that would affect him, I believe, until the day he died. Let's put the quote up here from his book. I made the choice to live in my head and not in my heart. It was safer in my head. You couldn't be broken there. Not yet, anyway. You know, I had a professor in seminary who warned us. Everything you do in school is about your head. He said the the largest, longest distance many preachers have to travail is this to here. From head to heart. I think you can trace his addictive issues to that moment in his life when he decided to carefully cover his heart. And what, what he spent the rest of his life trying to do was to fill a heart-shaped hole in his soul with booze and drugs and whatever else. Until he shared this powerfully beautiful memoir about his addictions and named them for us. What did Jesus say? I don't call you servants. He didn't call them preachers or teachers or missionaries or evangelists or colleagues. They would become all of those things, but that's not how he saw them. He didn't see them as co-workers. He saw them as his friends. The greatest gift you and I can give to another is the gift of our heart. Is it risky? Uh, it's risky. But there is no finer gift. 
and to be a friend who gives away love. Amen.